Hey everyone, a uh, quick note up top, we recorded this episode last week when the first round of the NBA playoffs were starting, and obviously before the uh, strike led by the Milwaukee Bucks began yesterday. We talk a lot about basketball on this podcast, especially on this episode, and we want to say we unequivocally stand in solidarity with the NBA and WNBA players on strike. What happened in Kenosha with the cops shooting Jacob Blake in the back seven times should be unthinkable, but it's commonplace in America and uh, we support the players striking for meaningful change. Abolish the police. Black Lives Matter. Here's the episode. Welcome to the Line Break Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my co-host, Bob Sikora. Hello! Hey, so today we are talking, like last week, about a topic near and dear to our hearts. Basketball! We're doing a whole episode about basketball. Can you even believe it? And then we made it like seven, eight episodes before we even like fully just went on to basketball. (laughs) It's an admirable amount of restraint on our part, (laughs) I would say. (laughs) <laughs> quick little backstory about how we started this podcast um bob and i have been friends for a very long time and uh that friendship has largely been built on a shared love of these two things um i knew bob in college as an excellent poet and i found out he was good at basketball uh the year after college when one night at uh at um uh the best tavern in chicago canines um our friend anuj said hey man we're playing basketball tomorrow do you want to join and I said, Bob plays basketball? No way. And then we drank just enough to straddle the lines between all night and not too hungover at the gym the next morning. And Bob promptly whomped my ass for four hours on a two-on-two run. <laughs> he will probably demur and protest when I say this, but Bob is really good at basketball. See, he's, he's drinking some tea to avoid, a, 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 avoid addressing that. <laughs> anyway, anytime Bob and I hang out, poetry and basketball are going to come up. Uh, And about five years ago, we began to notice that we weren't the only poets who felt this way. It kind of became a running joke where if a poet mentioned something about basketball on Twitter, we'd point it out to each other and say, man, poets love basketball. In fact, the original name of this show was Poets Love Basketball. And then our eventual name, The Line Break, is a very stupid and poorly executed pun on both line breaks in poetry and fast breaks in basketball. Um, So (laughs) that's a little bit of how how we started. I want to pay a quick bit of lip service to um, poetics in this intro, just so we don't go totally off the the rails. Um, And I don't want to get too cute here, but um, basketball is a sport defined by improvisation within set movements. Uh, much like how a poet might use forms such as a sonnet, a sestina, or a villanelle, or a certain rhyme scheme, and then maybe break from said form based on where the poet takes you, basketball offenses use plays like horns, high screen and roll, or post-ups, and then improvise in response to the defense. Or, you know when you're past the ball, you can either shoot, pass, or dribble, but the ways in which you can shoot, pass, or dribble are endless. Dr. James Naismith didn't invent the -the behind-the-back pass or the Eurostep, just like Shakespeare and Petrarch never wrote in free verse or used blues forms. Personally, I love working within constraints and pushing up against those boundaries as a way to uh, uh, sort of force myself into different things as a writer. Sometimes if I sit down and I don't know what to write, 
I'll just make little notches on the lines in my notebook. Like here's 14 dots, fill those dots with lines, and then you'll have a sonnet that you can at least edit later, that kind of thing. So since this is yet another intro where I'm not making a very specific point, Bob, do you have any thoughts on poetry, basketball, or our friendship, or <laughs> do you ever put constraints on your writing in order to push yourself to greater heights? You have eight minutes to cover all four topics. Go. <laughs> um, well, the, uh, the first thing that I wanted to highlight when I was, one, trying to choose a poem, um, but also doing a little bit of research, I found an entire essay collection Fast Break to Line Break, Poets on the Art of Basketball. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> uh, published That's in 2012. Incredible. That's um, incredible. Right. So we are far from the first people to make this connection. And I saw in the table of contents um, a number of poets who I, who I really admire. So I am probably going to purchase this book in the near future. Yeah. Um, shout out who, uh, the poet who is included in this, in this anthology. To my knowledge, um, the only poet and prof- like prominent successful poet and professional basketball player natalie diaz um, oh yeah played, yeah both professionally in the states and overseas in europe um and then has had an incredible poetry career yes um uh so oh and quick shout out to uh the poet marissa crane who i believe had a, a brief college basketball career um, nice nice but I, I don't think they ever played professionally, but they, they at least had a brief college basketball career. Right. Right. But yeah, keep going. So hard. Um, so I, I guess just jumping into the idea um, that uh, I think part of our, our joke about, oh, it's funny that poets love basketball um, does come out of greater conversation of how like ridiculous it is to assume that poets don't like sports um, yeah, yeah. You know, because like, as much as uh, poetry might not be that that popular amongst the greater population, um, sports is so popular that there has to be some overlap. Um, and right, and I guess that there is a bit of pushing back against stereotypes of like poets as like reclusive, you know, sort of sit in your room and read a book types, you know, kind of thing. right. But, right. And, and a, oh, look, there are pickup games to, at AWP, you know, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a long time coming, too, because yeah, so much of that stereotype of what a poet is or should be um, is, um, one, it's, you know, restricting um, and kind of like creates barriers, maybe, of I'm not like that. Can I be a poet? Um, but also, like, some of those stereotypes, I don't know, you know, like brooding. Um, alcoholic, right? Um, like some of those things, like we, we should not be aspiring to that at all, right? Um, right. You know, um, yeah, terrible to other people sometimes, like, right? Uh, but basketball, um, which has no history of alcoholism or people being terrible to other people, <laughs> just um, don't Google Keon Clark. The the question that I have for you that is it's also simultaneously a question for myself. Um, which did you come to love first, poetry or basketball? Well, um, I guess specifically I'll say basketball. Um, but you know, for as far back as I can remember, I loved reading, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I started the, uh, the, uh, uh, middle-class suburban white kid sports trajectory of, um, I think we talked about this last week. I can't remember if it was off mic or on mic, but started playing baseball and soccer when I was five, uh, 
hated playing baseball, was no good at it. And uh, when I was eight, I uh, was able to play rec league basketball. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about basketball is I grew up in a neighborhood where um, I didn't have a lot of kids in my immediate region. So a lot of my friends were like a five-minute bike ride away, but I didn't have like that sort of uh, sitcom classic next-door neighbor thing. Right. And basketball was a sport I could do by myself. Um, so like my dad, uh, you know, was very, very good about, uh, playing soccer, playing baseball, playing football with me. Um, you know, I come home from work and throw the football in the yard, but like he was a on-call surgeon. So he was frequently working like late hours and things like that. But I knew that, um, I could come home and, uh, uh, once I finished my homework or whatever, could like go out into the driveway and dribble and shoot by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that was always really appealing about basketball. Um, every other sport I can think of, you, you kind of have to have somebody else to like either pass or pass the ball to you, pitch the ball to you, defend you, that sort of thing. Um, I guess if you have a wall, you can play tennis, you know, but like, um, uh, (laughs) um, but yeah, I I always knew I could go out and, and, and shoot by myself. And, uh, you know, I can't, I came to writing much later. I came to writing, um, after music, which I guess, you know, I've, I've equated poetry to songwriting on this podcast before, but, uh, um, yeah, I was always a big reader as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I've been, you know, was, was always, you know, in the, uh, top of my class in the accelerated reader reader uh, programs oh. <laughs> as a kid but um but yeah i would say basketball would be my first love the first thing i wanted to be when i when people asked me what i want to be when i grow up was an nba player yeah. um, certainly, certainly yeah. I remember at a much younger age wanting to be a basketball player than wanting to be a poet sure um, i i'm impressed with how close down you could get to answering that um I, and i guess i i would say I knew I loved basketball earlier than I loved poetry. Um, but certainly, again, I think we talked about this last week. I didn't start playing um, really much until I was probably 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, and I'm sure at that point I was already scribbling stuff in notebooks and certainly didn't really, know. Really, that early? I think so. Really? Wow. I, I remember nice. a birthday where I specifically like asked for a journal because I needed like somewhere to write. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, the most I was doing was like drawing Batman or the X-Men, you know, like <laughs> I wasn't like writing stories or anything like that at that age. Uh, uh, that, that's cool. I, uh, I was certainly doodling a lot. Um, I uh, doodled a lot of basketball shoes. I wanted to design basketball shoes. Sure. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> uh, doodled a lot of like, uh, yeah, like right. me, like passing the ball to Michael Jordan. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think by middle school, I was very into basketball and by middle school, I also, I mean, very same. I thought I wanted to write songs, but okay, yeah, I didn't play any instruments. I had no sure. concept of melody. You know, like it was words in the notebook that I probably like sung along to another song's melody. Oh, sure, <laughs> you know, sure, there was no yeah. Actual songwriting going here, and then years later, it was like, you know, yeah, when like the vocabulary of poetry came to me, it very much was this like revelation, of, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This. I already think I like, I've already got some practice. It's totally kind of unlocked something. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, man. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it is easier for kids to come to sports first, but, um, for sure. Um, I know I've always said with, uh, with my two year old that, um, 
I, uh, wh- whatever it is, I want him to have a, uh, one, um, intellectual pursuit that he's really into and one ac- uh, athletic pursuit that he's really right. into, you know, whether right. it's like, whether it's, you know, something traditional sports like basketball or soccer or whatever, or whether it's like dance or, you know, something yeah. like that. If you, you know, yeah. if he's into, um, like my brother's into, uh, circus acrobatics if my son follows him in that path i won't be mad like that'll be that would be great um, I, say, I won't be surprised <laughs> right I, you know what kind of the way he's developing i won't be surprised either <laughs> so. i did i did want to want to throw in there though of uh we are culturally not not a you thing um we are though we're, we're sometimes like way too quick to forget that like you know uh grade school K to third grade kids are great at poetry and enjoy oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And somewhere between third grade and high school, we absolutely ruin it for them. We, <laughs> yeah, that is definitely a cultural thing. And that's, it's really weird. Like, yeah. um, especially since like, you know, I feel like there's nothing wrong with introducing, like I, I'm on the record on this podcast about not really caring for rhyming poetry, but like, there's nothing wrong with, just even introducing the concept of like four lines of a poem or eight lines of a poem or whatever. Right. And, it, and it all rhymes, you know, the, the Dr. Seuss kind of stuff to kids as an introduction to poetry. And then we just kind of drop it for a little while. And then um, you get to high school and it's like, okay, you guys need to understand the Odyssey now and Emily Dickinson, <laughs> um, write me an essay on Emily Dickinson, 14 year old. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, our education system is a uh, broken. <laughs> all right uh let's get into some hoops let's get some hoops yeah what's your uh, what's your poem this week so uh i'm perhaps this will uh be a continued theme of me just gushing about certain poets um i wasn't i really wasn't sure which um poem i wanted to go with this week i, I narrowed it down to a couple of them several of them were by this poet um and this was kind of one of the earliest ones and just like Finally, having to force myself to make a decision, I was like, "This one, this one feels right." Um, sure. And it's by Adrian Matika, um, who uh, he came and read at my MFA program, and then sat in on workshop. And it was a day where I was not supposed to be workshopped. Um, we had, oh. I think, ten people, and that semester, some semesters we absolutely got through all ten people each week. Some semesters it was like half and half. And I was in the half where it's like they had read me last week. They're probably not going to get to me, um, which made me feel really comfortable with, you know, big, cool, professional poet in the room. Um, oh, you were supposed to be in the class, but your poem wasn't up that day. My poem was not going to be read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. I misunderstood Sorry for a second. That. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, it's been, yeah. obviously, it's been a while since I've been in a workshop. <laughs> Long story short, yeah, we crushed through five poems. Professor looks at the clock and says, we've got time for one more. And so they, my mind was next on the list and I was not confident about the poem. Um, and he was an incredibly generous and rigorous reader um, who, yeah, gave me incredible feedback. Um, oh, that's right. reached out to me on Twitter the next day. Like, oh, that's so cool. An incredible sweetheart. Oh, that's um, great. Love Adrian Matika to death. Um, I hope to run into him again soon. Um, I've got a picture of me at um, the Dive Dapper Poetry Festival. Ah. I've been a number of years, and he was leading some, you know, kind of guided activity. And, yeah, someone took a picture from behind him, and I'm in the front row, like, starry-eyed as hell. (laughs) He's in love with this man. Um, So let's read a poem. 
Yeah, let's, oh man, I'm jacked now, let's do it. (laughs) So this is called Synth Composite Basketball. No more fundamentals. Check out Iverson and his Jim Braid retroactivism. Cross handles over because a hand can forget how to stay sober. A hand can forget how to handle like microwaves don't remember how to pop the corn, how to warm the beef. Now that's a neck-to-neck schism, even without the gold teeth. They call it a crossover, but I like tats and funk. I like overpriced throwbacks since before crunk. Mall is sized, not for ball. In champs, they only play hip-hop now, and everyone is going pro. These boys be Newton confused, going up with no return trip. Up toward the half-moon blackboard, up past the full moon back dap until the ball is post-dated by some intergalactic bitch slap. Not in my house, says the middle-ager at the Y. These boys be one less chapter to read in science books. These hops be invalidating gravity's flow and push. These non-polsters, sitting on dubs, riding circles, like that bus full of criminals on the Method Man video. White boys sampling and one videos. Can I not get a run? Where is the lift, the rotation of the ball moving like hand-polished rims that keep their spun even when the car stops? There it is. I feel like this poem is a uh, wonderful snapshot of early aughts basketball scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the rims, the oversized throwbacks, the everything else. I feel like this is a snapshot of like, I feel like I'm in 2003 right now. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I think that's why it, it hit me so much was, it, yeah, it really felt like it took me back um, to a time um late middle school, early high school. I'm trying to think when Iverson was kind of peaking. It was maybe like 99 to 03, probably. Yeah, um, they made the finals no one, so it would have been right. yeah, 99 to 03. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it, it's a poem where um, there's a lot happening. I think in a really small space, he jumps from kind of idea to idea to idea. Um, yes. and, and almost like to a dizzying effect. Um, I feel like I don't have a handle on every little thing that's going on here, but there's so many things that I do like. Um, and like you said, that bring me back to this kind of nostalgic place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a poem that like for me is super joyful. Um, even though I do think there's more going on there. Um, you know, and I mean, I, I, I guess just to start like love Iverson. <laughs> oh yeah. Love Iverson. Yeah. Um, to your point, it's funny you brought up like a, a, a dizzying kind of effect. Um, I got like an aggressive rhythm from it, like a real, Mm -hmm. like a real hard syllables and some rhyming up top. Um, It almost read like a, you know, that part in every Spike Lee movie where someone like tough talks direct to camera, Um, like the uh, big time Willie and he got game, the guy, the gangster driving the car Um, or um, the, uh, the love, the left hand, right hand speech in uh, do the right thing. Like that's what it like made me think of. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and um it kind of evoked the uh to get to get really cheesy about the basketball part of it it the rhythm of it evoked like um 
like that real hard dribbling you you do when you want to intimidate somebody, you know, <laughs> like that real just like that kind of dribbling that gave rise to the expression pounding the rock. Um, <laughs> this is, this is Does terrible. that ever intimidate someone? <laughs> but yeah, like just like that that real just like yeah, just real hard dribbling, and then you brought the dizzying effect, which. How else to describe Allen Iverson's game than um, a lot of a, a lot of hard dribbling and then just dizzying moves and crossovers and absolutely uh, yeah um, yeah. So, yeah if there's uh, a poem for Allen Iverson it's this one <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I think and I think there's there's something interesting going on here that I'm definitely gonna have trouble trying to communicate out loud. Um, you know, so the title, I'm trying to remember synth composite basketball, um, what he's quite alluding to there. And it might've been when they changed the basketballs, um, in the league. I'm not positive. Oh, like around, uh, 2004, 2005 or whatever. And was that when it happened? Yeah. There's something like that. And, uh, yeah. a lot of players like revolted against it. Like Steve Nash didn't right. like it. I yeah. Remember. And someone like cut their hands on the ball or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I mean the the subtitle there, no more fundamentals, um, kind of evokes this um, criticism um, of Iverson, um, of other players from that era, um, that um, you know they were more interested in flash and dunking and moves. Um, you know, yeah, the and, and like, the N one era was really bad for Boomer fans, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, and I think I think what's kind of interesting here um, is because is one, like to say that Iverson didn't have fundamentals um, is preposterous. It's you know? totally totally insane, right? And I like that idea of um, kind of like you were saying of um, the rhythm is so prominent in this poem, um, the kind of sonic noises of the rhyme and kind of other um, kind of musical devices um, is that this is. A fundamental poem you know a poem that's like technically i think impressive yeah, um, yeah yeah but also is like showy in the sense of like it's fun you can hear some of the moves that he's making 100 um, percent. so I, I really like that um that opening um you know because of course when you lead with iverson you have to think about his crossover you have to think about his handles yes um cross handles over because a hand can forget how to stay sober um again the rhyme there's great the line break is great this image of what does it mean for a hand to forget how to stay sober um yeah to me yeah of, again like that dizzying level of command of the ball I, I you know we kind of we talked about this um with jamal crawford a week or two ago of how like it felt like he didn't have control almost um right so in control yeah and it's like um you know if a, a the hand for getting how to stay sober immediately conjured to me like um uh <laughs> so this is a left field illusion but i remember reading uh the book boss by mike royko about uh uh the first mayor daily in chicago um talking about <laughs> how they they used to uh shut down the bars on election day and then drag the like the 7 a.m drunks to the polls make them vote and then give them a pint of whiskey. And like one of the, uh, one of the sentences uses is something like they drag the drunks shaking to the poles or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, 
drunk shake. Like, I thought that was a cartoon thing. You know, like, I've never seen that in real life. Um, and uh, so, like, yeah, like, uh, I just get the image of, like, a shaky hand. Yeah. Um, because it's it's muscle memory. It's, like, alcoholism, right. withdrawal, muscle memory. But for Iverson, who can put down some alcohol, <laughs> apparently. Um, but for Iverson, it's, like, the muscle memory of just being able to handle the ball and just, like, right. knowing without even thinking about it, he's got an arsenal of moves on him and things like that. Yeah. Um, I know the, the the times I've been worse at basketball is when I am at the top of the key, one-on-one with someone, and I think consciously, okay, what move am I going to do? Um, <laughs> that is never a good position to be in. No. <laughs> um, that's, that's usually when you're at your most tired uh, or at your most rusty. And uh, with Iverson, it was never like that. It's, you know, he was always um, always able to just whip out an endless bag of tricks. Um, and it's like it's like muscle memory, the way it's yeah. muscle memory for an alcoholic's hand to uh, shake when they haven't had eight hours, uh, when they've gone eight hours sleeping without instead of drinking. <laughs> I really thought you were reaching there, but I'm totally with you on this. I love it. Love it. Excellent. So uh, right after that, um, we got this repetition. A hand can forget how to stay sober. A hand can forget how to handle, like microwaves don't remember how to pop the corn, how to warm the beef, um, which is, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the, the disappointing microwave meal, not warm in the center, is <laughs> so rela- like relatable on this gut level. You know, like the disappointment oh, yeah. is so tangible. <laughs> There's there's not an adult in the world that hasn't had that disappointing meal sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and and you pointed to it this a couple stanzas down. I liked overpriced throwbacks um, since before Crunk. Mollicized, not for ball. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that word mollicized is so good. Um, and absolutely, you can like picture the big jerseys. Yeah, um, I believe. I can picture a couple jerseys that I owned were certainly a little too large for me. <laughs> oh yeah, my uh, my first jersey was a Jordan jersey when I was like probably eight, nine, or ten, and I am now thirty-two, still fits. <laughs> <laughs> and then this line of in champs referring to champs sporting goods again at the mall. They yeah. only play hip hop now, and everyone is going pro. Um, and I can so remember when shoe stores kind of shifted um, and started one, like um, a little bit embracing hip hop culture um, really, you know, like hyping up basketball shoes. Like it's, it's almost amazing to me that they weren't that into basketball shoes before that. Um, Yeah. But I remember, I think that was for me, a big part of the early two thousands was how much for me, a trip to the mall very much meant I got to look at some basketball shoes that I wasn't going to buy. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, and basketball shoes again are uniquely, I guess like there's a bit of soccer shoes, things like that, where, but right. like not cleats, not, not shoes you'd play a game in. And I guess with skateboard shoes too, like, I guess like skateboarders, when I was growing up, skateboarders would have their skate shoes that they wore during the day. And then their skate shoes that they wore while they're actually skateboarding. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but basketball is kind of uniquely set up for the commercial shoe. Yes. 
Do you have a favorite early 2000s basketball shoe that comes to mind? Favorite early 2000s basketball shoe. You know, I am not the biggest sneakerhead. Um, no. I, I, I love sneakers, but I don't um, I don't always know what I'm looking for. It's one of those things where I'm, I'm <laughs> I am uh, uh, mostly afra- I'm, I'm, I'm very afraid and self-conscious of looking corny um, by being <laughs> like, I like this one. And then having people who have been sneakerheads for decades be like, Oh, okay, cool. Dude. <laughs> um, but I will say there's a, one I'm sentimental about and it's some, and ones that I had okay. uh, when I was playing AAU ball. Um, they, uh, I don't remember the model, but it's a, um, they, it was one of those like sort of off center half designs. Where, I know exactly uh, which one you're talking about. Yeah, and this mine was uh, white and then blue on the interior. Mine was black and red. Yeah, sick. Yeah, Um, I black and red would have been so much better. I only picked blue because my AAU team's uniforms were blue. Right. Um, But yeah, those lasted me three years, and then um, like three years of serious AAU play, and then just whenever I played throughout high school, I never made a high school team or anything like that. And then (laughs) when uh, we started playing in college, right after college, I wore those for a little bit. Until uh, Anuj and Kevin pointed out that I am slipping all over the floor and need to buy some real actual basketball shoes. <laughs> so <laughs> they uh, they lasted me um, on and off from, I guess, about sixth grade, maybe fifth grade to uh, to my first summer out of college. Um, so, you know, um, wow. but, you know, very, very on and off, very on and sure. off. Um <laughs> So yeah, I have I have some sentimental attachment to those. What about you? As I said, I had a period where I was briefly obsessed with basketball shoes, um, so I certainly can rattle off um, which Jordans were the most important to me. But um, oh, and I can I can we... name the Jordans. Yeah, but that wasn't <laughs> the question you asked. <laughs> uh, as we were uh, reading this and thinking of Iverson, I just remembered. Um, so his first signature shoe was the Question, mm-hmm. um, which had like a, a brightly colored toe, um, which retrospectively a little bit looked like clown shoes. Um, but they bit. also were very cool. They were cool <laughs> then, yeah. Uh, but uh, the follow-up was uh, the answer, um, and it, all the subsequent shoes were the answer something number. Um, yeah. But they had this like zipper front <laughs> that I thought was sure, so yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems ridiculous for a basketball shoe. <laughs> yeah, I've never been a fan of the zipper front. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I did not own them. I remember a friend in class who had them. Yeah. Um, and, and fully, you're, you're bringing up of the brand and one, which I think might not be in existence anymore. I'm pretty it's sure they're not. A little upsetting. Yeah, that's um, a bummer. But I feel um, very appropriately targeted with, with the line, white boys sampling and one videos. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, white kid who was very deeply into that. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't think it took too long for either you or I into our adult lives to realize that... Uh, we have a limited number of dribble moves, and uh... <laughs> you can compliment um, my general basketball game, uh, but I cannot admit to anyone anything good about my handles. No, <laughs> There's nothing yeah, good no. to praise there. <laughs> I can I can bring the ball up and initiate the offense, but uh, that's about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly breaking anyone down one on one. I like, um, I think this a lot about what I admire about Adrian Matika's poems. Um, is I said this kind of at the beginning of how it kind of seems to go in a bunch of places. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of things that we could have talked about with this poem that we didn't even get to. Um, yeah. 
but uh, he gets into um, a little bit of, you know, the science stuff. The, these boys being Newton confused, going up with no return, um, up past the full moon backdrop until the ball is post-dated by some intergalactic bitch slap, not in my house. Um, and I like that pulling um, um, from kind of different vocabularies. Um, and, and he, as he... I believe still his most recent book was called um, Map to the Stars, um, which is very much like rooted um, yeah. in the Midwest that he grew up in, but also has this kind of space kind of undertones and overtones, you know, this the thematically in there. Yeah. Um, I love how he kind of bounces from those things. Um, something I'm always looking to get better at. Yeah. We're both, we're both, uh, we're both big fans of that. Um, it also really evokes to get to the, uh, to, to bring back the mid two thousands really evokes the, uh, I'm a, I personally am in favor of uh, players being able to jump from high school to the pros if they want to. Right. But I think definitely in the mid two thousands with the way the NBA salary cap was constructed, uh, there were a lot of guys who went from uh, high school to uh, pros who weren't emotionally or physically ready for it. And right. um, Jonathan Abrams, a former writer for Grantland uh, wrote a book about it. I think it was, I think it was called prep to pro. Yeah, that's um, not true. But yeah, just a I haven't gotten around to reading it yet, but um but yeah, just like a book full of tragedies of like guys right. who just, you know, were like we're right there on the cusp and uh uh going up with no return trip, um, I think is a unfortunate trap that a lot of NBA players can fall into that uh we could do like seven hours on. <laughs> um, uh I I I you're you're leading to um I think I've heard um, or seen people talk or write about this era of NBA basketball um, in kind of a negative light. Um, yeah, Bill Simmons calls it the too much, too fast, too soon era, right. which always felt a little problematic to me. But, like, I get what he's getting at, but it feels problematic to me. Right. And I think, yeah, it's this emphasis on the idea of that there weren't – the stars weren't as good – Somehow, I mean, again, I'm, I'm pretty happy that Iverson, um, I, I think he went kind of out of, with praising him went kind of out of fashion with recognizing that he was inefficient. Um, but I think that's kind of being rewritten again. Um, and yeah, in general, like, I think there is something to be said about how good the players were. I mean, the, the Spurs and Lakers were really the only two good teams for this little chunk of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that misses... Um, how interesting of a time period it was um, and, you know, things that this poem is alluding to um, the way we talk about athletes right? up to pro stuff that you're talking about. I feel very attached and nostalgic about it and, and, and think that it was yeah, an interesting time. It was definitely an interesting time. And I think um, it was, uh, it definitely felt like um, it felt like a big transition era and it's, and I'm not just talking about the, the window from, you know, Jordan to LeBron or whatever. Right. Um, Cause like you said, there was, you know, there was, there was Duncan, there was Shaq, there was Kobe, there were, you know, there were Iverson, there were, there were players in that era, but just the way that sports began to be talked about, I think like um, uh, emphasis on hip hop culture is like the shorthand people use for it. But I think it was more just like recognizing that the NBA is a league made up of mostly black players and like right. seeing, seeing, uh, seeing and validating black culture as legitimate rather than like the, um, you know, we just saw in the last dance when uh, Jordan Harper and Pippen are all drinking beer and Pip's like, 
oh, we can't let them film us drinking beer. And, you know, Harper's like, who gives a shit? And, um, you know, but like just, you know, just seeing like seeing athletes uh, for being imperfect people and being okay with that. And then also Mm -hmm. seeing um, or not imperfect, strong word, not always imperfect, but like not like these buttoned up, you know, sort of um, comfortably suburban athletes. you know, like, 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 you know, the, the athletes you can take home to introduce your mom to, um, uh, which they never were in any sport, you know, like the, you know, right. every sport has a long history of athletes behaving badly. Um, the NBA gets a, uh, a worse rap on it because it's a predominantly black league, but like this was the era that the dress code was in mm-hmm. implemented. And, you know, you've got the oversized champs, jer- uh, oversized jerseys for mall size jerseys for champs, you know, like that sort of thing. Like that's exactly yeah. what David Stern was pushing back on in 2005. Yeah. Um, I think this was a, a real crossover era where culture was beginning to be understood differently. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some blowback to that uh, with Stern and then with, with, you know, a lot of like the jailblazers era seemed mm-hmm. almost quaint now, like aside <laughs> from Ruben Patterson and his like numerous domestic violence allegations, like, the rest of the jailblazers mostly just smoked wheat and like, who cares? Like <laughs> who cares that they smoked wheat? That was a legitimately great team with a lot of interesting players. And everyone's like, Oh man, those blazers, they're, uh, uh, you know, getting arrested for blazing up again. And, um, you know, gesture wildly towards everything that's going on in Portland right now. Yeah, there's definitely a, it's it's definitely a um, an interesting sort of trajectory or interesting sort of in between era that doesn't always have my favorite basketball, but it has mm-hmm. like a lot of players I'm very sentimental about. Right. Yeah. All right. We we, we right. nostalgied it out. <laughs> we nostalgied out. I kind of expected that for this one. <laughs> um, it's gonna be a little longer one. That's all right. Read so, the poem. I'll read you a poem. This is a poem from a collaborative chapbook by Idris Goodwin and Kevin Koval. Um, I know I read Koval last week. I'm doing it again this week. And none of you can stop me. This podcast is free. Also, I hope I'm pronouncing Idris correctly and it's not Idris. I have only read your name, sir, and have never heard it. I'm sorry about that. But um, this poem is called Window. The ball plays peekaboo with the rim, ripped under and over again a rotational force to conjure tornadoes, arms or blades to generate electricity, extract jubilation from fans' mouths wide in wonder, an O in the ocean, loop-de-loop, roller coaster waves crash in the air, Neek's feet firmly planted in red paint, a step beneath the dotted line, lift off Chicago Stadium, a spring awakening, legs tucked, an Olympic jump, the vicious swing of a heavy hammer, John Henry of the ballet, Neek an exclamation point, a black missile, the Spalding, an asterisk, a satellite in orbit, the body snaps at the hoop, a bear trap, matador lance, jaws of life hovering above the court, a Millennium Falcon, an Atlanta Hawk. Wee. It's bomb. <laughs> to to start deep in in uh, the world of writing, um, have you ever written collaboratively? Number one and number two, how successful was it? 
Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, I haven't done it much, but, uh, there was, uh, one time, I guess I would have been a junior and you would have been a senior. Um, Charles Gable and I, uh, friend of the show, Charles Gable, we wrote a collab chat book called, um, Poems from the Rice Tie Cafe Lunch Special, where every week for like eight to 10 weeks, we met up and, uh, um, the Rice Tie Cafe on uh, North Sheridan Avenue in Chicago, right next to the new 400 movie theater. Um, I hope all of those things are still open by the time I'm doing 2020 ends. Right now. <laughs> oh, like, we, just had rice, rice we just had Rice Tie the other night. It's still okay. open. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, some of the best pot stickers I've ever had. Um, really excellent pot stickers. But yeah, their, their lunch special was like a, um, a soup. Uh, an appetizer and an entree and we would get i think my order was always a uh uh miso soup pot stickers and then chicken pad thai uh which shout out to being in college when you can eat like that for lunch because <laughs> i cannot do that now uh it went really well we uh we did the way we did it we would um uh one of us write a line the other one would write a line mm-hmm. um and then we just kind of figure out when the poem was done we go type it up and then um you know, sort of edit here and there. One of the few poems that I ever took to Josh's office hours and just got unequivocal praise on, like he was really into it. Um, there's, uh, Josh is a great, um, uh, uh, marker upper of poems, uh-huh. um, and unafraid to be ruthless, which you want in a, uh, what you want in a, uh, workshop professor. Um, but, um, but yeah, he was like, man, these guys, these are all good. Like, yeah. And so we printed, I think like 25 of them, and uh, gave them out to people at the reading series that we that we ran. Um, so it went really well. Um, it was I haven't had much interest in collaboration since. Although um, Brendan, music producer for the show, Brendan Johnson, he and I are working on a, a collaborative series of short stories that's uh, coming along a little bit slowly. But you know, we're we're working on it, and that's fun. Okay. It's just uh, it's like we were talking about in the writing episode that writing is always starts as a private act for me. So right. it's. Um, I find collaboration, I guess, hard to get into. Okay. But yeah. I like it. And then you had a second question. What was the other one? Well, you answered it of, of how well it went. Oh, yeah. It, it went pretty well. Yeah. Fairly successful. And I, I asked because I, I look at this poem and there is not enough clear, marked change in diction um, for me to like try and identify who was writing what. Yeah. The um, whole book's like that. I can't really tell who's who. Yeah. Right. Um, which I, I think that that's something to praise. That's an awesome thing to be able to pull off in a collaboration. Yeah, that's um, aspirational, I would say. Absolutely. Um, and I have literally only tried this once. Um, 100% was an assignment. Um, and me and uh, shout out some more friends of the show, Kevin Widener. Um, we're in class Kevin. together. Uh, great, great, great poet. There's an incredible manuscript. Wonderful human being, great poet. Also, also an incredible human being. And I was much like i i don't want to compare us now um I, I think we're just in different things we do different things at the time i can say unequivocally he was a better poet than me <laughs> he he was someone who was really good when like he was like 20 like right. he was absolutely yeah like he he picked it up um, right quickly yeah um and so we got this task to write a collaborative poem we were going to try and do it the way you said one line one line one line one line and it did not go well. 
<laughs> not, not oh no! Happy with it. Oh no! <laughs> uh, and definitely, I think like I think we tried to do it at a bar one time. Um, I think at um, ooh, how am I losing the name of the the? It's on Sheridan uh, North Sovereign. Of no, North of Campus. Uh, Oasis. Oasis. We did. We tried at the O, and uh, I think we got nowhere. And either the same night or another night, went back to his apartment, tried to write. We're both flustered, and finally just said like, let's just do this on computers over AIM. Sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, nobody was happy with the results. If I remember, oh, man. I don't remember anything about the poem except that uh, Josh again was instructing us. And uh, there was one line of Kevin's that was something like Technicolor something. And Kevin really liked it. And Josh did not like it at all. And that's um. Nothing yeah. that I wrote do I remember or feel good about. <laughs> um, so I see a collaborative poem like this, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. And that's that's the thing about collabs is, like, uh, you you're, you always take on a little bit of a risk because, I mean, you're going to be doing it with a friend, you know. <laughs> um, and we're talking specifically about poetry and writing. Like, th- this is this doesn't really apply to, like, music or movie making or other more inherently – um, collaborative arts, but like you're always going to be doing it with a friend, and if it goes badly, there's there's, there's almost like a little bit of like you're not going to stop being friends or whatever. But there's a right. risk you take of like no one wants to no one wants to look bad as a writer, and no one wants to fight with their friends, and those right. are just two things that you feel insecure about. And then yeah, if it doesn't if it if it, you start doing it, it doesn't go well. It's just like it's it can be so discouraging. But yeah, so yeah, this little however many page chapbook it is, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an achievement for sure. To piggyback off that a little bit, I, part of the appeal for me here was um, the background of like all of this stuff, um, and I, which I, don't, I haven't done much research on, but like the fact that it's a collaborative chapbook, that it's just this little chapbook that uh, they released for $10 on Haymarket Books uh, about basketball. You know, I think so often we think of poetry as... Um, like a high and mighty medium, like this totally mm-hmm. esoteric thing uh, reserved for lofty subject matter. And this poem is just a description of a dunk. Um, right. And I don't know if Kevin or Idris ever put these poems in the later collections of theirs. I'd be surprised if they did. But I love that they wrote this little chapbook about Dominique Wilkins. Um, <laughs> that, that's just, it's just great. Uh, and there's weightier stuff in here too. There's uh, one of the later poems is about... Um, you know, like we're talking about, don't know who's writing what, but one or both of them is wanting their father to retire in Greece like Dominique did. And it's very Ooh. beautiful and heartbreaking and yeah. just wonderful. Um, uh, but yeah, it's mostly just like two friends writing some poems about basketball. And I think that's really cool. I think that rules. Like, right. you know, sometimes basketball is game seven of the finals and sometimes basketball is just a three on three run on Sunday. You know, just like <laughs> sometimes poetry is, you know, Maya Angelou reading at the presidential inauguration. And sometimes it's just a little chat book you put out, you know, <laughs> um, I, I, I think that um, I love when art can take something that's as fundamentally silly as a slam dunk competition and take it really seriously. Um, right. I love that. <laughs> um, and, and another one, um, I mean, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's kind of in this observational mode. Um, it's admiring, um, but just fun language throughout. Yeah, um, playing peekaboo with the rim is is such a 
a great little image. Oh, um, yeah. Conjure tornadoes um, to extract jubilation from fans' mouths. Yeah. Um, Which awesome. is what a dunk contest is which yes, is great absolutely. yeah <laughs> yeah what really stuck out to me yeah there's you you alluded to it there's a just a a a barrage of like tornado imagery at the at the uh, at the beginning right and then um then there's uh it gets really specific with the uh neek's feet firmly planted in red paint a step beneath the dotted line lift yeah. off like so there's all this like this tornado metaphor and, and whirlwind metaphor and stuff. And then just like, just go look up highlights of Dominique Wilkins dunking and like <laughs> his feet planted firmly in the paint. Um, right. Like he looks like a comic book character. Like he looks like the Hulk, like, or someone who like jumps. And when they like take off, they leave a crater in the ground. Like I always picture Dominique Wilkins dunks like, if you're sitting courtside, you would feel when he does does that two step uh, jump stop and then like lift off to dunk. Like he just like, I mean he's like six eight two twenty five. He wasn't the biggest dude in, in in the world or whatever, but he just looks like he looks like he's gonna dunk through the earth when he when he when he does a jump <laughs> when he does a jump stop. <laughs> right. Um, Dominique Wilkins is an interesting figure. I think for basketball fans our age Mm -hmm. Um, because I know he hung on for a while, but we definitely didn't see him at his peak. No. Um, My my parents and uncle lived in Atlanta in the 80s, so they told me a lot of stories about him and stuff like that. Right. Right. But when you're a kid, you only go on, like, who wins what, and he never got out of the second round, I don't think. So I was just like... (laughs) Yeah, he's cool, and the Hawks are cool, like, you know, good, good, right. good. But, like, yeah, he's not, like, he doesn't have that legendary status in my mind, even though I know sure. I appreciate but, his greatness now, you know. I do think you're hitting at, though, of, of, I think what makes him so interesting, just, like, from a very time-specific period, um, is that if if you are around our age, got into basketball, especially like because of the second run of Bulls three-peats, um, Here's this figure that because you're obsessed with Michael Jordan, you learn about, you hear about, you know, this guy who was in opposition to him, the dunk contest was never quite as good as Jordan. Right. Um, people thought his dunks were maybe better. Um, and as opposed to folks um, right the couple eras before him, um, I mean, even someone like Moses Malone or Dr. J it feels like we just don't have as much footage of. Um, Yeah, that's definitely true. I've seen a ton of Dominique Wilkins highlights. I don't think I've ever actually tracked down an old game of the Wilkins Hawks to watch. Um, But there's this weird kind of dissonance of, I know who this guy is. I've seen a lot of this guy, but I don't really know his game. I don't really understand what he meant to people at that time. Uh, you know, for someone, you know, to, to, to adore him this way, where we're going to write a collaborative chat book. Um, you know, he, he clearly um, was such a special player. Um, and I mean, then the dunks, you see it, you know, <laughs> they're, yeah. a, they're a special kind of unique. Um, yeah. Like I, you can't quite compare him to someone else. I don't know where I'm going with, with this long kind of rambling thing, but just thinking well, about him out loud. 
I think you're you're definitely onto something. Oh my god, he played in 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably the the Magic or the Sonics. I want to say. Yeah, on the Magic. So I'm I'm looking up his stats. Still uh, so, uh, you know, because I always right, like I haven't gone back and watched a game of his or anything like that. But like the Bird and Dominique duels, like they had two or three of them where they both were like getting into the 50s in points. And so those right. highlight reels come up on YouTube all the time. And off the top of my head, I can't picture him doing much besides dunking. And I feel like he was a good <laughs> rebounder and a decent mid-range shooter. Right. Yeah, at his peak, he would get up to like seven or nine rebounds a game and stuff like that. Okay. And so, yeah, career uh, career 25, seven, and, and two, two and a half assists. Okay. So, you know, respectful numbers is... Yeah. Especially for a small forward, um, yeah, he uh, he played in uh, Greece in ninety five ninety six. Came back, played sixty three whole games for the Spurs in ninety six ninety seven, uh, which was the uh, year they were tanking for Duncan. The terrible year, yeah, yeah. Last time before this year that the Spurs missed the playoffs, uh, and then played in Italy in ninety seven ninety eight, and then at the age of thirty nine. In the lockout shortened season, played 27 games for the Magic. Um, he so he hung on for. He had to come back and play one season where Jordan wasn't there. You know? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, but yeah, like yeah, I just me... I don't really have a picture of his game is why I was doing all that, right? Because like, I I, I feel like he was a good rebounder, but I've never seen him get a rebound, right? You know, um, you you uh, piqued something of mine of, of just thinking of uh, my own uh, biases. Um, you mentioned that uh, early 2000s, maybe not some of your favorite basketball to watch. Um, but I always say, you know, like just out of curiosity, I have tried to, you know, find and watch some old uh, 80s games. Um, and like, yes, the, Mad- the, Lake- the Magic Lakers were really impressive. Yes, um, the Celtics had just, it felt like too many good players. Um, but boy, in that era, you're just watching all of these like, Eight seconds off the shot clock, ugly mid-range jumper where you're guarded over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I will take watching uh, some 2001 Philadelphia 76ers games with Iverson over. <laughs> yeah, it um, it very much, the 80s, I, uh, I'll be a little more charitable to the 80s game than you, but, like, the, um, unless you're watching, like, yeah, Lakers or Celtics, who are, two teams full of like really good passers. Um, right. And also I feel like the, the Celtics specifically, but magic Johnson definitely with the, with the Lakers and uh, um, you know, a couple other dudes from that era were really good at the like one handed touch pass and just like mm-hmm. passes mm-hmm. that don't seem like they should be able to be possible to pull off in front of professionals. <laughs> um, uh, the eighties the are really great for that. But yeah, unless you're watching that or you're watching like MJ highlights or, uh, or Dominique highlights, um, like I don't find Alex English or Bernard King particularly compelling. Like it's it's like you're saying like a lot of just like dribble and then take a mid range shot. Um, right. Who else was big in that era? Like I know there were some centers. There had to be some centers. I've never seen a clip of Hakeem before like 1990. I don't think. Um, which I feel like I should do. Hakeem and Ralph Ralph Sampson teams. Um, <laughs> Trying to remember, I I, uh, I was staying uh, with our friend Anuj. Um, big Hakeem we, fan. 
big Hakeem fan. We were up late talking, and he's like, do you want to throw on a game? And we threw on, I don't remember how old the game was. We threw on, like, it was it was Rockets Jazz. I was totally excited for it, and I fell asleep within 10 minutes. Not because of the quality of basketball, just because it was just, just, late. Yeah. yeah. I did the same thing with Blue Velvet one time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I didn't want to get uh, too weighty with the uh, with the NBA question this week, uh, but um, so one thing I do every year for the playoffs, uh, regardless of whether or not the Bulls um, make the playoffs, is I I kind of adopt another team to cheer for. Okay. Um, it's usually a, an aesthetic thing or like some storyline that ropes me in. Right. Uh, so yeah, is there any team? I know your your favorite team is a title contender this year, one of the three teams everyone thinks is going to win it. But is there, any, <laughs> is there any team that you're adopting um, for this year? Uh, so I'll go first while you think. Okay. Um, for me, the, my first team, and I decided this at the beginning of the season, is the Clippers. Um, yeah. I, I love Kawhi. I love Montrez. Uh, we've talked about our affinity for their roster before, but um, mostly I want to see my – Clippers fans, friends, which is basically you and friend of the program, Christian Ramirez, um, experience some happiness for once in your NBA lives. <laughs> <laughs> but my other team is, uh, um, I've got two, I'm a little cheating a little bit, um, pulling for the Blazers, because uh, first of all, how can you not cheer for Dame and CJ? Like, just how can you not cheer for Dame and CJ? But also, especially, uh, shout out. Yusuf Nurkic, who I'm sure is listening. Um, <laughs> friend of the program, Yusuf Nurkic. <laughs> friend of the show, Yusuf. Um, uh, no, I mean, dude, uh, almost, you know, he was out all season. Uh, he, he was a huge part of their team last year. Got hurt right before the playoffs started, and that kind of submarine their whole playoffs um, chances. Was hurt all season. Finally healthy by the time the bubble started. Finds out his grandmother has covid and she's back in bosnia suffering from covid almost skips the buzz bubble um doesn't want to come in and uh uh does anyway yesterday their most important game of the season their play-in game um his grandmother dies right before the game he didn't want to play he played anyway put up 21 21 and 6 um how can you not be cheering for yusuf nurkic right now um uh former bulls draft pick who was Whoa, traded on was draft he really? Yeah, they traded Yusuf Nurkic and uh, I want to say Gary Harris for uh, Doug McDermott. That's um, such a terrible trade. It's really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I am also cheering. I'm also adopting the Raptors because I think they were my team last year. to win. <laughs> I want three teams. I want three teams to win. The Raptors were also my my main adopted team last year. Uh, be, again, because I like Kawhi, but I just I mostly just think it'd be very funny for them to lose their best player and then repeat as tra- champs. It would be very funny. Um, it would be very funny, and I would love that very much. Uh, so yeah, those are my teams that I'm adopting. Okay. Uh, what about okay. you? Um, well, I mean, to lead uh, certainly, uh, I I want the Clippers to win. Um, I one of my you know, favorite things about living in Chicago pre the Cubs winning the World Series was hearing all these people about how the Cubs had never won and how much suffering they'd gone through. And to me, it was like, well, my also my entire life, none of my teams have won. I don't care if your grandpa also suffered. Right. I you have nothing <laughs> on me. I have zero rings. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I'm, I'm nervous and excited. Um, last year was great as a Clippers fan because I just had lo- no expectations. I didn't even expect us to make the playoffs, and we pushed the Warriors to seven. It was so much fun. Um, but I, They're a really fun team. But I, I do remember once we got good, the CP3 Blake teams, it was wild how my playoff viewing experience changed because all of a sudden, like, games were nerve-wracking. Like, there were times where I was right. just like – yeah, I was so anxious. Um, as opposed to normally, like you're saying, I pick a team and I don't, I don't care. I'm gonna have some fun. Um, in terms of adopting a team, um, I would uh, love for the Jazz to beat the Nuggets. Um, I okay. uh, I lived in Utah, so uh, I support uh, the Jazz to an extent. And uh, I, our friend Eddie. Uh, lives in Denver, and I just want to see the Nuggets lose so much. <laughs> I was wondering if this was an Eddie troll. <laughs> um, and then I, I guess also having lived in Boston, um, as much as uh, I, I have uh, feelings about Boston, um, and you know, part of me does always just want to say, screw the Celtics. Every player on their team is likable. It's incredible. It is they 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 have an annoying amount of like right. players. Like I really really love Jalen Brown. Here. Love Jalen uh, Brown. Love Marcus Smart. Want nothing more like than Marcus Kemba Smart. Walker to have some some real success. Love Kemba um, Walker. Yeah. Uh, as a small uh, German big man, I love Daniel Tice. <laughs> Seems like a rad dude. He's got Black Lives Matter on the back of his jersey. Right? Yeah. Um, Tatum, it's been just a treat to see him like turn into something that I didn't see at all coming. I, I remember his rookie yeah. year, everyone being like, "Oh wow, there's some superstar here," and I didn't get it. Yeah, there was. I feel like he got overhyped by Bill Simmons a lot, <laughs> and it was just like it was one of those things. Where it's like, is this guy actually good, or is is the ringer just like right. talking about Jason Tatum? Turns out he's actually right. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. I, uh, Giannis is incredible, but I would love for the Bucks to not win this year. Um, I it, I have the, the the weirdest dissonance about the Lakers um, in that I have for most of my life absolutely hated the Lakers. Um, but if it's not going to be the Clippers, I really would not mind seeing LeBron get another ring. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing LeBron get another ring. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the Bucks, man, I love Giannis, but. Uh, uh, they didn't re-sign Malcolm Brogdon, so right. they can't win a title. Choosing now. Eric Bledsoe over Malcolm Brogdon, um, I guess I'm never going to forgive you. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, that's that's the uh, that's the hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> um, I would not at all be surprised if they win. Um, yeah, and you know, good for the city right. of Milwaukee, which is a very very nice. Listen, thing. It's a Milwaukee but, friends, uh, I would be stoked about that. That would that that would be happy yeah. about that. But I guess there is also for me a little bit of a residual uh, central division, you know, not wanting anyone else to win. Um, I don't dislike the Bucks like I dislike the Pistons and the Pacers, but uh, but yeah, it's just like, yeah, no, I don't want the Bucks to win. <laughs> I, I know for myself, there's a weird, and I felt this before. Um, it's totally illogical, but where there's this like sense of like, no, you haven't struggled enough yet. At Giannis. Oh, you know? sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I think it kind of comes with, you know, he's going to have won his second MVP in a row. He is, like, actively rewriting what we understand about great NBA players. Um, and I know there's some, you know, this feels like a very old guy kind of thing, but there's some pushback of being like, 
yeah, you'll get yours. You know, <laughs> not worried about you. <laughs> There's some other guys I would like to win first. <laughs> it is absolutely some old guy stuff, but <laughs> but I'm not going to fault you for it. <laughs> Um, but I think overall, kind of what we're highlighting uh, is how like it's a great time to be an NBA fan right now. Like this is it's a great time to so be an NBA many teams that I'm excited about to watch. Um, yeah, it's a very it's a very fun uh, fun playoff atmosphere, mm-hmm. and I, I, de- I definitely remember uh, I de- definitely was like looking at the teams going to the bubble and just being like. Uh, you could argue that the NBA playoffs are too long, but I was like, I want just like all of these teams to get in. Like, I, I was like, I was pulling for the Blazers, but I really like the Grizzlies. Um, I thought the Spurs had a fun story. It would have been cool to just keep that playoff streak going. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't want the Wizards to get in or anything. Like that. Um, <laughs> oh, um, all right, I think we yeah. should cut ourselves off. Um, I think we should cut ourselves as off. We do like uh, every week. Um, we'll wrap up the show by saying so long, Jim Boylan. So long, Jim <laughs> Boylan. Good riddance. My second least favorite Chicagoan behind Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> Goodbye, Jim Boylan. <laughs> uh, even worse, even worse opinion of him than I have of Lori Lightfoot right now, which is hard to do because she's fucking up. <laughs> All right. Our music is produced by Brendan Johnson. Our art is designed by A.M. Strickland. Uh, We will talk to you guys next week.